Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women and empower a community through the mission and their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, English teacher and school principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook at at Sarah S.A. Johnson. Be sure to subscribe to the In Awe Podcast so you can join me each week as I feature women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. As October 2022 comes to a close, so too does our series on perseverance on the In Awe Podcast. Our guiding quote for this series is, success is not the absence of failure, it's the persistence through failure by Aisha Tyler. If you've been following along, you've heard from women in the series who have all learned in their own way to live courageously, embracing better understanding of who they are to be in this world and living in a way that is aligned with that truth. Is there any better way to show courage than to show up as your most authentic self? Today's guest is going to inspire you in so many complex ways, and I cannot wait for you to meet her. Andrea Trudeau, M-S-E-D-N-B-C-T, is a self-proclaimed no-shush librarian who just began her 25th year at Allen B. Shepherd Middle School in Deerfield District 109, just north of Chicago, Illinois. In her school, she has created and cultivated an active learning commons that embraces community, creativity, critical thinking, risk-taking, and fun. She models lifelong learning to her school community by being a PhD candidate at Northern Illinois University in Instructional Technology, where she is researching the impact of cinematic virtual reality on adolescent students' empathic responses. Furthermore, she is a Fulbright Hayes Grant Scholarship recipient and spent five weeks in Tanzania and Kenya this past summer teaching high school students while being immersed in East African culture. Regardless of where Andrea is teaching and learning, she firmly believes that the library is the heart of the school and she works diligently to help everyone in her school community feel welcome, connected, and valued. In this episode, we discuss Andrea and her unexpected journey into becoming the No Shush Librarian, how her passion for virtual reality is helping children of all cultures to develop empathy, and we hear about her own experiences with perseverance that allow her to pour into the students she works with. Not only does Andrea's story remind us that librarians are a crucial element to learning in our schools and not a luxury, she inspires us to consider just how innovative and fun they truly can be. I'm so grateful that my personal path crossed with Andrea's right when I needed her professionally, and I know her story will add value to your life today. It is with great honor I share with you Andrea Trudeau's Perseverance Story. Welcome, Andrea Trudeau, to the In Awe Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome, my friend. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You have been such a huge influence in my life in the last year, and I know that many of my listeners are going to know who you are. Some of them aren't, though, and I am just so pumped to hear all of the beautiful mission in your message today. And I've read your bio, but would you do us a favor and just let us know a little bit about your current context? What are you up to right now? Thank you, Sarah. So I am a no-shush librarian, so kind of an unconventional library information specialist who works at a public middle school that serves students in grades six through eight, just north of Chicago in a town called Deerfield. This is actually my 25th year. I was a longtime teacher, and this is my eighth year in the library, and it's just the greatest job ever. I am also a mom and wife. I have two high school-age sons, one who's starting to do his college search, And I'm currently getting a doctorate in instructional technology. So I'm a little bit of a self-proclaimed tech nerd too. 
I love it. And so now listeners that are familiar with me are completely understanding why I consider you to be like a soul sister that we've never met in person. (laughs) I'm so grateful that you're in my life. So just a little bit of context We're we connected via Twitter, I think for the first time. And that was approximately a year ago. I think correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So a huge piece of why we connected was I, you know, started into this library media specialist world, which I kind of had no business doing, but finding a network, a new network that I needed to help grow me. And you, I just have to tell you have been such a life raft in the waters of that shift and newness and all of the things that I was trying to juggle. And so thank you for that. And listeners, if you have not checked out Andrea's work, you have to do that. I know you will by the end, we'll talk about how to get you connected, but I just want to make sure to shout out to you because I'll never, ever forget having some separate Voxer conversations. And then last year you just hopped right on a zoom. Cause I had so many questions about trying to spend the resources that we had in the library and wondering about VR and you were just such a wonderful help. So I just wanted to thank you publicly for that. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so glad that we're connected as well. It's always good to meet someone in the field. Well, right. And we have some similar histories too, but Hey, let's, let's just dive into this. You are going to be our awesome guest here on the perseverance series. And I know that one of the things that I was really planning on when I was starting to kick back the podcast was having you featured. And I was so excited when you said yes. And the fact that we have you featured here, I think is super powerful, but I'm curious when I asked you to be on the series and you were thinking about perseverance, what did that mean to you? So when I think about perseverance, it's really just about facing difficulty and struggle. And I think for me, it really means like digging into the depths of who you are, maybe tapping into places you don't even know exist in order to overcome something and ultimately coming out on the other side, uh, a changed person, like someone who has grown in some way and learned in some way and now is better. It's like a shedding of skin. I think that happens when you go through this process. I love that. And I think we've kind of chatted a little bit about how your life just highlights perseverance and probably ways you hadn't even thought about until you were really thinking this through. And I'm just so grateful. I wanted you, if you could just share a little bit, you're currently a no shush librarian, which by the way, I have referenced you a few times when people come to the library and it's a little bit loud and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to be a no shush librarian, just like Andrea Trudeau. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. But you aren't always a librarian. Let's talk a little bit about your journey. How did you get to this space? I never anticipated being here. It was, uh, so I have been in my school, like I mentioned, for 25 years, the same school, hired at 21. And I was a, an ELA teacher in eighth grade for a long time, and I loved the job. But suddenly, I started to get sort of unsettled. I, the way I can liken it is like sitting in a scratchy, itchy sweater. Just something felt off. I knew I needed something, but I couldn't figure out what it was. And so months went by where I just, I needed to make a change. I kept getting to these closed doors. Things were not working out the way that I thought they should work out. And I came to the library that fall at the start of the new school year. And the librarian at the time, she was giving a book talk to my students. And it just sort of fell from the sky. The answer was right there. And it was like, oh my gosh, go back to school and become a school librarian. You would love this job. It branches off of the work that you do. She had just put in for retirement, so I had four years to get back to school and get my certification, and then was able to just slide right into this amazing job. So I never in a million years anticipated becoming a librarian, and I had a lot of people around me telling me not to do it. Even my own parents, they thought I would be bored or I would hate it, and it's turned out to be 
such a blessing. And I feel like this is my calling. So that makes me so happy because even just in that little snippet, you're talking about perseverance right there, right? Where you're like continuing to follow this feeling that you had to live aligned and people saying no, and you're just pressing through it, people in your circle. And I'm so curious because I feel like you could shed a beautiful light. You know, I can make all sorts of assumptions as to why somebody was telling you not to do it, that you'd be bored. And here you are the no shush librarian. Well, I think we might have a preconceived notion about what librarians do. Do you want to give a picture of what you do in that library media specialist role? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because everyone I think has that sort of that idea of someone sitting behind a desk, checking out books, reading books, Mm -hmm. and just kind of mean and nasty and shushing kids all day long. And I've always joked with my students that they got the wrong girl for the job if that's who they want. So this is a really dynamic space. Um, Our library takes a human-centered approach we change it to a learning commons. When I came in, it was a library media center. We now call it the learning commons because I like the idea of a commons where everybody can come together in the spirit of learning and togetherness. It's a space that really embraces, you know, collaboration and creativity and and fun. Like I want kids to feel like this is their hub and their, their home and their safe space and working with sixth or eighth graders, especially who are so uncomfortable in their own skin. I feel it's really important for them to have a place and a person that they can always turn to. And I I truly believe this space can save children's lives. I've seen it encourage students to make friendships. I've seen kids blossom into readers, kids that came in crying in sixth grade. And by eighth grade, they were fully engaged in reading and, and the space. And I also love it. It's a space that incorporates community. So we have a really great connection with our public library. We bring parents in to do volunteer work. We have showcase events. So it's a really dynamic space right now. As I'm talking to you, there's a breakout EDU happening. So kind of like an escape room game happening. So it's always changing. And I'm one of those people that's willing to say yes. So I say that we live by a culture of yes in this space. Just listening to you has me all excited and inspired and thinking (laughs) I have to create that. It's the vision that I want, but I just haven't quite figured out how to get there yet. But even as you were talking, I'm sure that listeners were wanting to join your learning commons as well. And also you are not just that space too, but you're really passionate about VR. And I know that's a part of your doctoral studies, but you embed that really well into your space. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So VR, I kind of fell into it accidentally. A colleague of mine, Maria Galanis, shout out to her. She's amazing in the ed tech world. We went to this conference and we got a Google Cardboard. And at that time, we had no idea what this thing was or what it could do. And so this whole experience kind of was accidental. We had a little group of students in seventh grade who watched a very short film that involved uh, Syrian refugees coming ashore on the shores of, uh, of Greece and you could look all around. So they, you know, put their phones in the Google cardboard and then they could see the sky. They could look out to the ocean and see the people coming in. They could hear the crying. They could look at the sand on the ground and it became such an immersive, amazing experience. And fast forward to eighth grade and uh, this incredible opportunity fell in our lap where we were invited to support a family who had come here from a Turkish refugee camp And they had lived there for two years after fleeing Aleppo, and they knew nothing about American life. They didn't know English. And so we had students volunteer to create little videos to help them assimilate. So, you know, how to work a vending machine, how to approach a domestic dog, how to use a microwave, like things we sort of take for granted. 
And this was done after school. And I thought, you know, no one's really going to show up. Who's, they're all so busy. They're in eighth grade. They're checked out. It was standing room only. We had 50 to 60 kids come in. Right away, I realized this is different. Like, this is what I've always been looking for because I'm in a place where students have the resources available to them. And I feel it's our responsibility to help make our corner of the world better than when we got here. We have the resources to do that. So I hope to use education as a, you know, to inspire students. And so since then, I've really been focusing my work on virtual reality and empathy. There's a lot being done at the adult level. And so trying to help students here see the world, it's sort of an extension of Rudine Sims Bishop's mirrors, windows, and sliding glass doors, where we can open the sliding glass door, experience another world, and really truly understand from another perspective and empathize. And I think if we all did that, the world would be a much better place. Listening to this again is so beautiful to think about how your story continues to weave because it would be really easy for you to take all of that ELA life and just kind of settle in easily into a library, but instead you're persevering to get to this vision that you really ultimately want. And here when you say VR fell in your lap, it also is super cool how what you just said, building empathy and you know, creating connections is so tied to your own personal journey and some of the things that you've been doing lately. I bet you know that, but it just struck me as I was <laughs> listening to that. So can we kind of shift gears it? And would you be willing to share about your recent experience abroad? Sure. I'll try to do an abridged version because I just gave, you know, hour long chats to eighth graders. So I was <laughs> really fortunate this past summer. I mean, this this was truly the trip of a lifetime. So I'm at Northern Illinois University and I was went through a process for this Educate Global program, which is part of a Fulbright-Hayes grant that three professors there wrote. And what it entailed is, is there were 13 of us, six undergrads, so students about to become teachers entering their student teaching phase, and seven graduate students who were ranging in age from about 25 up to me, 45, and had teaching experience. And we went with these three professors to East Africa and spent five weeks in rural Tanzania and rural Kenya uh, teaching high school students there, secondary students. And it was such a powerful experience because not only did I learn some key Swahili and I was immersed in the culture, but to actually go work in these schools, it's unlike any travel experience I've ever had because you were, you're touching lives. And to learn more about the education system there and to be inspired by these students and their stories and, and their hardships and how they have overcome, yet they come to school every day so ready to learn with a smile on their face and with some of the deepest gratitude I've ever experienced. It was something that will it's forever touch my life. And I feel like there's some kind of project brewing in me to go and help because they, they lack uh, support and resources. And they want so desperately to do some of these amazing things. They just don't have the ability to do it. So I want to figure out how I can help. But it was amazing. We got to teach students autobiography lessons because normally they're taking notes and they have to take an exam. And it's done in their third language because they learn their mother tongue, then they learn Swahili, then they don't learn English. So all the testing is done in English. And we went in and basically had them start to think about themselves and where they want to go and all their incredible gifts. And they've never thought about those things in school. It's always been just memorizing information and spitting it out for a test. 
and then to showcase some of their work in the library, something that had also never been done, and to see how proud they were standing in front of these pieces they chose to share. It was so incredibly moving, and I will never forget these students or this experience. It sounds very powerful. And I know that obviously you just gave us the abridged version, which I kind of was thinking, oh, don't, (laughs) because it's such a unique experience that you decided to take on. You know, not everybody would do that, especially given the fact that you have a big full life and you're studying and you have a lot going on. So to take it on, uh, you know, as something not feeling like it was added or extra, but life changing is one of the things that inspires me about you truly. Um, thank you. No, it, it felt, it was funny because before I went, I had a couple people in my life that I think were projecting their anxiety and they kept saying, aren't you going to be homesick? Isn't it going to be hard? And I just felt so calm about going. It just felt like it was my destiny, like my calling. And the whole time I was there, I was super focused on the experience. And I think that's what made the experience so rich for me and so powerful. Absolutely. And one of the things that I love about you is you're super transparent and very open and you share your learning and your thinking. And one of the things that I saw when you were there is that you did actually end up experiencing COVID. And so I wanted to mention that because I'm going, hello, that's perseverance. I mean, (laughs) not even the comfort of your own home or even in, you know, your own country. So you talk a little bit about what that was like. Yeah, it was kind of a wild couple days because everyone was getting Giardia, which is a parasite, and then people were coming down with COVID. And so we had to cancel two days of instruction while we had doctors visiting us. And I pretty much had to stay in quarantine in my hotel room for five days. And I mean, these are places where electricity is going out, you don't have hot water, I can't just go and like draw a bath or grab a hot tea, like I did not have things that I would want. And there was this one point I was lying in bed under my mosquito net (laughs) and thinking about all the things I would do if I were home. Well, I would do this and I'd have this and I'd have this. And then I just realized like, you don't have those things. So you're going to have to just like, let that go. And you're going to do it this way. I gave myself that moment to sort of like sit in the sock and have my little pity party. And then I decided that that was not productive and I just had to sort of flip the switch. So I was like, how can I make use of this time? So I was binge watching shows. I was doing some journaling. I was doing laundry, just spending the time. Everyone thinks it was so horrific to have to be locked in your room for five days. I was fine. I actually, I think it went really well. And I think a lot of it had to do with just mindset, like accepting it and making the most of the situation. Well, yeah, because also as I was hearing that, I'm hearing the echo of what you said earlier when you said you were meant to be there was one part of it. But another part was how you said that you're trying to figure out how you can help again. And you mentioned the fact that they there's resources that they don't have. And yet here you are struggling with something that has become pretty universal across the world, COVID and challenged by the fact that you had it without the resources that you're typically used to having. And I just can't help but think that there's a nice little metaphor in there <laughs> for I love that. Education. And I had not thought of it that way. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, and that's kind of what I thought at one point. I'm like, I'm going to have to deal with deal with this the way that people here in Tanzania deal with it. They don't, these people live on $130 a month and a COVID test is $10. So they're not testing. They can't afford it. And they probably can't afford a lot of the conveniences that we have. You know, if we have a sore throat or a belly ache, they just tough it out. So I kind of thought it was part of the experience and I tried to embrace it as much as I could. 
I love that because it also, you know, you're having to tough it out, but I would imagine those long hours and days too, you know, knowing that we really still don't know enough about how we're going to react to COVID when we have it. Cause we know that several people don't come out of it as quickly or as maybe easily or whatever, as you did, but I'm grateful that you did. And one of the things that I was struck by as you were processing here, I'm like one minute, she's posting about having it. The next she's looking at student work and <laughs> it was just almost yep. like you didn't even miss a beat, even though it probably felt like a long time at times. Yes, it did. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just yeah. really powerful. And it's not like, cause it wasn't a vacation for you, but you knew that it had a start and an end time too. So I just love that fact. Like you just push through it, persevere through that challenge. I bet it wasn't the only one um, that you faced traveling. What were there any other challenges that you had kind of persevered through while you were over there? I mean, it's just a completely different way of life. You know, I'm so used to air conditioning. I'm used to having hot water at my beckoning call, electricity at all times, picking the foods I want to eat. I mean, you were kind of at the mercy of the place and it's vastly different than here at home. I really went in just open to the experience and open to learn. And I really wanted to just embrace all of it. I knew it was going to be different. And I was sort of warned about some of these things. But when I got there, yeah, it was it was pretty eye opening. I think the gender piece was interesting, like being a woman traveling there, having so much experience and working on a doctorate, there were men that would ask me my background. And when I would share that with them, they would kind of slither away and they wouldn't speak to me any longer because in that, you know, there women don't have the same rights that men do. And men feel uncomfortable when women are very experienced and very educated. And so that was probably one of the most interesting things to not have that same level of respect that I've come to sort of experience here in the United States. It's really interesting. And the way you described it was fair, you know, because you just said that they're just not used to it. So they kind of slink away. It's just part of the culture. Yes. And so it's just really interesting to kind of hear that. How did that translate for you working as a classroom teacher with the students? Did you sense any of those same feelings or with the girls that you work with? I mean, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So I was at three different schools. Two of the schools were co-ed and one was all girls. The two co-ed schools, especially the public school I was at in Kenya, I felt it the most. The best way I can describe it is the girls felt like withered flowers. Mm. Um, you got there and they, their body language spoke volumes. They, they did not have, they were not extremely proficient in their English speaking. So I had to use very simple, you know, language with them, but their body language couldn't deny it. It was undeniable just how they were standing there. And, and then the way that they even would shake your hand or play a game, it was, they were wilted flowers. So when I got to that school, I, I kind of felt like I wanted to make sure that everybody boys too knew that women have power and strength and they can do amazing things. So in my very simple English, I explained because their education's a big deal. If you're a doctorate, you're you can be a professor and professor has higher respect than a medical doctor. So yeah. I explained to them, my husband has a bachelor and I put my hand out and then I said, I am getting a doctorate. And I put my hand like substantially above to like show them my degree is higher. And they all kind of looked at me like froze, like, Oh, and I said to the girls, girls, you can do anything. I wanted them to hear that. And I wanted the boys to hear that too. Like we should be partners in all of this and we're all better when we work together. But the girls school was amazing because that school, you could tell these girls had been so empowered and many of them have 
really sad, traumatic past. Death of parents, kidnappings, rape by family members, being sold for bride price, like all kinds of things I can't begin to imagine. And they came to school and they were some of the most confident young women I've ever met in my life. And I was just blown away. So I think it just showed that if we invest in girls' education and we take the time to empower girls, end up with some pretty remarkable results. Absolutely. It can lift communities. (laughs) For sure. Well, that's, uh, thank you for going there. That's a really inspirational message. And it makes me think too, as frustrated as I get as the systems and structures that are still in place here in the United States to hinder progress for women too, that it's nothing in comparison, right. To that context. So it's helpful to always kind of keep that in mind and be grateful and continue to, you know, amplify and push forward and lift the power of a female brain, <laughs> truly. For sure. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. I have a little bit of shift because I, one of the things that you shared with me early on when we met, and I know this is a part of your journey too, in regard to perseverance, all the pieces of you that are just beautiful and focused on education. There is a piece where you've had to persevere through a pretty big challenge. And you shared with me about a car accident that you had had. And I think that message to me is something I feel like the listeners should hear from you because you've been able to overcome some pretty significant challenge after that. You know, I always feel like the universe <laughs> throws throws curveballs at us so we can grow. And it for me, it, it was such an interesting time. So I had just returned from the United Arab Emirates in November of 2019. I was sent there to represent American school libraries and present at an international school libraries conference. So I spent a week and a half in the UAE and Dubai and Sharjah and met all these people. I felt like just on top of the world, like I was doing the things I wanted to do. And so a month later, it was early December, I had just finished my fall term for my doctoral work. And I was planning to meet a friend at a salt cave, because we were going to go full hippy dippy and just relax in a salt cave (laughs) and celebrate the end of of my term and just and relax. I was like, super focused on self care. And I was sitting at a red light, it was about just before six o'clock at night. And I didn't even see it coming. And this man plowed into me at about 35 miles per hour. Mm. And so, you know, adrenaline was pumping. So I thought I was fine, but it later turned out that I had a pretty substantial injuries that I was told were going to take me six to 12 months to overcome. So physical injury, just a lot of back and neck and head pain, had a really bad concussion that messed up my vestibular system. So balance was hard. Tracking my eyes was hard. I would go to the grocery store and I would stand at the end of the aisle and I would look down and all those bright colors and all those things lined up and all the fluorescent lighting, I would get so overwhelmed that I would stand at the end of the aisle and just start to like well up with tears because I, I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And this is very unlike me. Like I will power through, I mean, I've run marathons, I've given birth without an epidural, like <laughs> I power through things. So to have something bring me down to this depth, this period was one of the darkest moments of my life. And I remember at one point sitting in a tub soaking. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Like this is, I can't live this way. And I, I didn't think I'd ever overcome it, but 
I had an amazing physical therapist. I got very aggressive with my treatment, doing dry needling and all kinds of stretching and exercising and, and also going to a therapist to work through the anxiety and the emotional trauma of the experience. Cause the man that hit me was not a pleasant person to interact with. Mm-hmm. And over time, I, I found myself becoming someone else. It was like this, I don't know. I felt almost like coming out of a cocoon, like this new person, like a Phoenix rising. Someone had to come out of that experience. So I definitely am a much stronger and better person for it, but it was extremely difficult. It's so amazing to listen to you talk, Andrea, every time you share with me any piece of you over the time that we've known each other, you could give me 30 seconds. And I know that there is so much under that surface (laughs) and you have such a beautiful way of really bringing out the finite points of a very nuanced experience. So thank you for that. Because when I picture that person that you were talking about that you became and trying to overcome those physical and mental challenges when you've been, uh, you know, able to run marathons, as you said, and just those pieces of you clearly what came before the COVID experience in Tanzania had to right. Be a part of that. When I think about this new person that you talk about coming out of persevering through challenge, not everybody can keep the mindset. And it sounds like you've had a lot of practice with that and whatever you had before informed who you are now, who you're going to become in the future. And I'm just deeply inspired mm-hmm. listening to that strength from, from you. I like how you just worded that too. Cause I, you know, I think when we go through these hard periods, like I had some health issues in my twenties and I remember at the time sitting there in the sock in the pity party and wondering like, why me, why me? Mm. And then as time goes on and I feel like you get through whatever it is, it sometimes takes many years, but I feel like you eventually, if you're in tune enough, you'll realize why that happened because it will help you for something that comes later. And it's like, I would not be able to handle this current challenge unless I had already been through this other thing. So I do believe that this all has a purpose if we're open to that. And if we're willing to, you know, really listen and learn from the experience and grow. hundred percent. And your time with me today has reminded me of that my, myself in it, when you're going through those hard things, as you said, just sitting in the suck and having the pity party, that's just, that's light. That's reality. That's, we all have to do that. And, you know, I can tell by just this interview, but also our previous interactions, you're used to being able to overcome and achieve, but you're also highly reflective. And I just think that I know that there was a listener that needed to hear these challenges from you today. There's something that's going to sit with somebody. It could be now or two years from now, and your message alone will be used for them. So it's not always just for us too. like those challenges and those trials we go through. If we're not able to figure out on this side of, you know, life where that was supposed to serve, we know that it is somewhere else, right? So it's not just our own reflection, but the ripple. And that's why I love that you were willing to share so much of yourself today in this interview, because I know that it matters. It mattered to me. (laughs) It really did. As we're talking through, like (laughs) I'm coming on my own hard period and starting to feel a little lighter after a year of some pretty heavy, just nothing huge, nothing like significant, but just taking on too much and really not doing the best Mm -hmm. job of using my strategies and my routines and all of the thing that I've given to, you know, people in my speeches and my, um, you know, books and all of that, but just hearing you say this is just a reminder that all that hard stuff is, it comes with something that anytime we're tested, 
And when anytime we're in the pit, when we come back out of it, we'll figure it out, but it's really meant for someone else or for ourselves. It could be 20 years down the road, whatever. So I just love how your story keeps weaving for me. I keep seeing the puzzle pieces put together. It's crazy. (laughs) I love this. And I I think you also kind of made me just think of something. I feel like if we don't get the message, I feel like the universe throws us an even stronger challenge. It's like, you didn't get it this time. Well, I'm going to try again. And you're going to, you're going to try, you're going to learn it this time. So, cause I've noticed sometimes I'll have repeated problems and I'm like, why does this keep happening? And I realize it's because I haven't learned what I'm supposed to learn yet. So I think eventually when we get it, then there's this shift. I love it. I love you for saying that, you know, I've always looked at it. There's patterns and, uh, I don't know why I feel like, I feel like once I've conquered one, I'm like, oh, it's done, (laughs) but it's never done. There's a new way to look at it. A new lesson. Yes. Yes. (laughs) For sure. Why can't it be that you just get to check that off your list? (laughs) I wish. And it's funny to me how certain people get all kinds of things thrown at them and others don't, but I'm grateful for all of it because it's made me who I am today. Well, I am too. And I know that you have so much more to give to this world through all those lessons. And, but you don't have to put the pressure on yourself to do that. Now you've got plenty going on and I'm just so grateful because every time you and I interact, I know that I gain something from it and that sounds selfish, but I need people, I need teachers in my life too. And you have happened to be one of them. And I'm just so grateful for that. Oh, thank you. I feel the same way about you. It's like you fill my cup and I I really need this today on this Friday. So I very much appreciate this conversation. Yay. Okay, Andrea, I just wish we could keep going because there's so much more that I want to hear from you, but I know that you have to get rocking and uh, I do have some standard questions to ask you. Are you ready for those? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So the first one is if you could write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what would you say? I would go back to my seventh grade version. Um, So for me, that was the start of junior high. And my parents decided it would be a great idea to move to the other side of town that October. And so that became a reason for pretty much everybody to dump me as a friend. And it was so cruel and awful. And I remember just feeling so discombobulated. I didn't have my people. I felt so uncomfortable in my own skin. And I was really insecure because so much of my self-worth was really banking on that extrinsic approval. And so I think I'd go back to her and I would tell her that it's, it's really important to find your people. And I don't think I really found my people, honestly, until like my mid thirties. And I'm so grateful to have them now. And there's, I should mention for listeners that there's this really great blog called Cult of Pedagogy. And there, uh, Jennifer Gonzalez talks about finding your marigold. And it's, it's meant for teachers, but I think it applies to everyone. And it's the whole idea that when we we garden, we plant these marigolds that protect the plants, they strengthen the plants, they they really boost the, the plant to grow and be its best. And so I think it's important that we find our marigolds, find the people that, you know, support us, lift us up, you're willing to be your authentic self with them, and they still come back for more. And um, I think it allows you to really flourish as a human being. It's just unfortunate that it's really hard to find those kind of people in middle school when everyone's so uncomfortable with who they are. Absolutely. I think it's honestly hard to find those people no matter, because I think even in adulthood that can be challenging. Um, and to remember to be one for others, you know, in that reciprocal relationship. I love that you mentioned, first of all, I have to point this out because you work with that grade level six through eight, your life has been poured into that. And I think, Oh, you had that challenge. So you can forever have it imprinted on your heart, how to serve these beautiful children in this awkward and crazy space of their life. Cause you started out saying, 
how important it was to create a space that everybody felt welcome when students that you work with never feel comfortable in their skin. And I just think that's such a powerful tie to this whole interview. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I basically got into this to be the the teacher I wish I would have had at that mm. time. So it's why I've never left. And it's I why it. when people say, oh, you work with middle school, you must be a little crazy, but y- yeah, yes. And also really on a mission <laughs> and I love it. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think they're an incredible, it's an incredible time period. And I wish people could see the beauty in the period versus like always focusing on the negative. That's why you are where you're meant to be, my friend. I love it. So how about this yes. one? If listeners find themselves in a pit of fear or doubt, what could you say to help them rise up out of it? So I really think my life has shown me that challenge can be a gift. And I think I've mentioned to you that it's sort of a process. Um, for me, it's always been taking a moment to just sort of acknowledge what you're going through and how it really stinks and, and take time and space and give yourself grace to just sort of sit in the suck and have that pity party. And then there's a point where for me personally, I just, I finally feel sort of done. I'm done feeling that way. And so I try to harness what ends up being really anger and grief to propel me and to get out of that space and get into sort of an action phase. What drives me nuts is that a lot of people get into this like toxic positivity or like dismissive phase. You know, you tell them something's wrong. Oh, it'll be fine. Or they try to give you words that are positive. And I know they mean well, but it's not really acknowledging what you're going through. So I think having that acknowledgement for yourself and hopefully finding some of that around you is helpful, but then using the energy and harnessing it for good. And I just believe that really all these challenges are here for a reason and they test us. And as I said earlier, we don't really always know why it's happening. We may not really know for a while and it might not be until we get our next challenge that we realize, Oh, that last one really got us here. But I think it's about just embracing the process, being open, being reflective, and taking everything you've learned and put it into place when you are faced with this challenge. And I think that just helps you become a a better human being, a more authentic human being. Absolutely. So much wisdom there in that answer. And it hit me when you talked about that toxic positivity piece and how disingenuous that can feel. Um, you know, listeners of my podcast know I've shared before about the Enneagram and that is, that's definitely a phase that I've had to grow through and become more wise about and stay far from in that toxic positivity. Cause it's just kind of a proclivity of my own personality. And that comes from just not being comfortable with negativity. <laughs> and so it's kind of funny, um, as you were talking, it just was that grounding piece again, that I took from to be mindful that when I, I have that personal need to get out of the discomfort, never to make someone else feel diminished in that. And it's just kind of been a lifelong goal of mine. Hopefully I can make that. Um, but it's a good reminder to all of us too. And I love also hearing how your advice here just really goes back to everything you've already demonstrated, you know, talking about even after your accident, getting not only help for yourself physically, but mentally, and just, you know, having to face that reality is really critical in order for us to be able to pull ourselves back out. So great wisdom from you. Gosh, these listeners are so lucky. (laughs) Thank you. No, you're so sweet. Yes. Thank you. That's so true. Okay. So Andrea, I know my listeners are going to want to get in touch with you and you are such a wonderful person to have in a network. So could you share with them what the best way is for them to interact with you after this interview? So there's a couple places. I'm very active on Twitter. I think it's a great 
platform to connect. So I'm at Aunt Andrea underscore Trudeau. I'm on Instagram, but not as heavily. And then um, I do have a website. It's www.noshushlibrarian.com. You also can hit me up on Voxer, which I'm so grateful, Sarah, that you and I have some pretty great conversations there. And that's at Andrea underscore Trudeau. So yeah, feel free to reach out, chat library, education, empathy, VR, human life, you know, whatever. Overall amazingness. Thank you so much for sharing that extra tidbit because I know my listeners are highly engaged and this is just a call to action, friends. If you need to gather your network and it's time for you, this message served you, you can feel it kind of pounding in your chest. Don't make Andrea somebody that was just on a podcast that you listened to once. Make her a friend because you will be so fortunate. And I just thank you so much, Andrea, for your time, for your resources, for giving us pieces of your story and for just continuing to use all of your beautiful lessons in so many varied ways. I'm just deeply inspired by you. Oh, thank you. It was truly an honor to be here today. And I'm just so grateful for our friendship and our connection. And thank you for being the one that initiated this relationship and reaching out on Twitter. I'm forever grateful. As am I, my friend. I continue to be completely awe-inspired by every single guest on this podcast, and I am so grateful every time you choose to share, rate, review an episode. It matters so greatly to the mission and the message of our guests, and I appreciate every time you help one another rise by lifting up the message. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you being a part of this awe-inspiring community.